Welcome to Curveball Defied. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Todd Benson. Todd has a bachelor's degree in business administration and accounting from the University of Kansas and an MBA from Harvard's Business School. Todd started his career as managing director for Citibank and now works as CEO of Harrington LLC. In today's podcast, we will dive into Todd's extensive career and many of the companies that he was involved with. Thank you so much, Todd, for joining today's episode. And we want to get started and talk a little bit more about the environment that you grew up in. Yeah, so I so I was actually born in a small town in Kansas. Actually, Har- the Harrington of Harrington LLC is actually named after this small town in Kansas, which in 1965, when I was born, probably had 6,000 people. And today it has probably 2,000 people. And 57 years from now, it'll probably have zero people. But it's a, a part of me that I kind of never want to you know, kind of let go of. Uh, and so I, you know, kind of, but I grew up in Kansas City. So that means I'm a Chiefs, Royals, and Jayhawks fan. So it's a, you know, kind of crushing losses this weekend, uh, both to the Bills and to the Sooners for the, my Chiefs and Jayhawks. And I came to I came to New York in 1987, right after college, uh, at the University of Kansas. And uh, I worked at a, 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 a sort of a famed and fabled sort of kind of firm. It was called Solomon Brothers in those days in the fixed income capital markets department. There's a book that was written by Michael Lewis. Actually, it's one of his seminal works called Liar's Poker, which is you know, kind of really kind of is, is a, a really a fast and fun kind of read that talks about kind of the Solomon Brothers and Wall Street culture of that era. And I always sort of kind of joke that those are the wolves that raised me. Uh, and uh, so I had a wonderful you know, kind of a couple of t- years there. I had the privilege and good fortune of having been able to somehow get admitted to the Harvard Business School, did that for a couple of years and came back and kind of career wise, spent the decade of the 90s doing media and, and information services, um, you know, uh, merger acquisition and capital raising work. It was a terrific sort of kind of decade there when you had both deregulation with the Telecom Act of 92, the Telecom Act of 96. Uh, and the emergence of the internet and consolidation, just you know, terrific opportunities where I, um, and then with another guy, we convinced Solomon to let us up a private equity business. And we did that for a decade. In the last decade, I've been a, an investor advisor board member, largely in things involved in digital transformation and a couple of family owned businesses. And so that's kind of been my walk through, um, you know, kind of my walk, uh, in kind of through life professionally. Um, and, um, you know, that brings us to, to here today. So you ended up going to University of Kansas, uh, which is where you grew up, and sounds like you love uh, the, all the sports teams within Kansas. So it seems like it, it, that's definitely the perfect school for somebody who loves sports. And after that, you ended up taking a two-year gap, and then you went to get your MBA. How did that two-year gap help you prepare you for um, for your MBA program at Harvard? Well, I, I would say basically like you kind of most top business schools require, you know, work experience before admitting people. And I think actually for very good reason, I think that, you know, kind of part of what anybody brings to, um, you know, a, a business school environment, the learning also, you know, kind of comes from the professors, the curriculum and all those sorts of things, but there's a lot of learning coming from each other and each other being you know, kind of the, your fellow students that are in the class that they all have had, you know, kind of different experiences. Some had worked in marketing, some had worked, some actually had been in the military, believe it or not. Um, some had worked in, you know, retail or manufacturing or whatever those industries are. In each case, particularly because Harvard and other schools that have a case, stu- uh, you know, kind of case method, you know, kind of really bring to bear, you know, kind of those experiences, those insights and the like. So I think for one, it's been, you know, kind of your, your ability to contribute to the shared learning of others. I think it's a really, you know, kind of important thing about, you know, taking a couple of years to work before business school. And the other thing is, um, 
that I that I found is that you know you really have a tremendous amount of gratitude for the opportunity to basically to go back to school after you've worked for a couple of years. And I said that you know kind of being a Wall Street analyst, particularly in those days, and maybe and and probably even so today. Uh, is that it was a great way to get four years of experience in two years because you know the the the, the ethos in those days and there was no you know, kind of work from home was if you're awake you're in the office um, and so you know kind of that's the you know kind of that's the way kind of people worked and it was a you know kind of pretty grueling um, you know uh, you know uh, but in essence you know actually there are a lot of people that I met from those days that I'm still very close to and good friends with um, and so. Um, you know, but, you know, when one gets to business school and, you know, there's just, you know, 13 cases a week and um, a great opportunity to go, you know, go to the gym or go play basketball or hang out with friends or, you know, even do something as mindless as watch, you know, television, um, you know, you know, like th those are all things that one kind of really has a great appreciation for that, you know, in college, people don't really kind of tend to appreciate just all the, the benefit of the free time. Yeah. And one thing that I think makes the master's different than getting your bachelor's is the fact that when you're in your bachelor's, a lot of the stuff that you're learning, you're not going to you're going to be using it when you're going to be working, but you're going to be really learning that industry when you're working. Is it like that when it comes to master's or did your MBA kind of like open up a door of networking for you as opposed to actual skills that it taught you? No, I think both. I mean, I think life and business and all those sorts of things. Right? Like life is um, two things that you want to sort of kind of kind of develop. One of which are more than it's more than two things, of course, but a few things that you want to develop. One of which is, um, I think it's basically uh, uh, the the ability to kind of think. And so, I think business school is a way that kind of helps people think. And it's a lot of times it's around kind of frameworks. And really frameworks are a different way of saying basically it's pattern recognition. If you want to hit, learn to hit a curveball, you basically you need to see curveballs. If you want to, you know, um, uh, you know, whatever it might be in life, it's basically it's like you know, kind of like the, the 10,000 hours that people talk about sometimes. And it's just like how many reps, how many at bats, how many different sorts of things. And one of the great things about business school, I think, is it just gives people exposure to a lot of vignettes, um, you know, that, you know, because most of life kind of goes along and then it's, you know, kind of, you know, there are very few opportunities to see, kind of see those vignettes and it basically condenses or it's like a highlight film of, you know, uh, it's like watching film and football, I guess, or whatever that might be. Basically, we're going through, here's this play, what happened? Let's diagnose the play, um, you know, kind of let's, um, you know, kind of break it apart and, 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 and then try to learn from it. And so like, I think that's a, you know, that's a, that's a great thing that sort of comes from, um, uh, you know, kind of from business school, uh, you know, certainly you've know, got friends and relationships, but you're going to meet friends and relationships in uh, every sort of kind of walk of life, whether it's college or a job or, you know, any of those sorts of things. One of the things actually is um, in terms of building, you know, kind of friendships and those things is sociologists say that there are three preconditions to forming friendships, one of which is um, physical proximity, the second of which is repeated unplanned interactions. And the third thing is um, a, an environment or an opportunity for one to, to be personally vulnerable. And I think that is a thing which college uh, in particular and business school and, uh, you know, do a terrific job because, you know, you're, you're running into people all the time. You've got a lot of free time. 
Uh, and everyone's sort of kind of like trying to think about like, you know, what's going to kind of become of me? What am I going to do? Where should I go live? What should I, you know, just like all these sorts of kinds of things where there's just like that opportunity for kind of vulnerability that, you know, is sometimes harder to achieve in the context of a professional setting, uh, uh, you know, that that really is, you know, kind of conducive to an academic setting. So like, that's why I think a lot of people develop a lot of great friends in college or business school or law school or, you know, where, wherever in, in terms of, you know, kind of academic you know, kind of institutions and also in um, kind of early jobs, uh, you know, kind of where people are, you know, all trying to kind of like figure it out um, and, um, you know, or in, in, uh, in the like. Yeah. And one thing that is true about now that COVID and the effects of it is this whole like hybrid and even virtual workplace. So it makes it even harder to have those interactions with people and become friends with them. So kind of your only place does become school or bumping into your neighbor. So it definitely does adjust over time. And I think now that COVID is over, hopefully things will go back into normal the way that they were with making friends the traditional way. But I think that in the past, you've had to kind of like be creative in how you're going to make friends and definitely made the college experience different than for most people. Um, And also one thing that I think is interesting about getting your master's is you don't always go right after school. You went two years after you graduated. You could have went like 10 years after. So there's a huge age range of people that could be going into these schools with the experience that they have gotten in. And you particularly, you are able to get uh, to get your MBA and you were still relatively young in your career and you had a pretty, uh, a pretty like top tier job right out of college. Did people end up treating you differently? And how helpful was your MBA in getting that job? Um, well, you know, kind of Wall Street firms in those days, basically, they recruited exclusively from kind of top MBA programs. So I would say it was, you know, definitionally, it was, it was you know, incredibly uh, important. Uh, although there were a few people that were kind of like direct promotes from analysts and, uh, as well. Uh, so, you know, was super important. Um you know, but it's um, it's also, I think, one, you know, we're in a society that's very kind of credentialed. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, it's a, you know, people are always sort of kind of looking for shorthands, a way of a bit of, of you know, kind of knowing, you know, like, you know, we all have a personal brand. This is just like one sort of kind of way if you're kind of thinking about that. And so it can't help but influence in a positive way if one has a, you know, any sort of, you know, credential. It could be a, it could be an MBA, it could be a law degree, it could be a CFA, it could be, depending on your, your career or your industry, it, it could be a medical doctor, of course, that's, you know, kind of one of the, 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 the best examples of it, but like, you know, all those sorts of, um, you know, ways of kind of credentialing, you know, kind of ways that the, the world has a shorthand and a way of figuring out, you know, kind of, okay, tell me a little bit enough about this person so I can kind of use, you know, pattern recognition and, and, and put them into a box about like, you know, what's, what's the, what's this product or person sort of may or may not know or and, be able to hear it. And definitely when you're in that environment, you're around like-minded people and it makes life a lot easier for you to make friends and network with people that are similar to you. When you're working such long hours, especially early in your career, you're going to be spending more time with your coworkers than your family. And you kind of build this relationship uh, with these people. And then you end up trying to come up with new ideas as well as 
other things that you guys may be working on. And one of the interesting things that you touched upon earlier is the fact that you were able to make that switch to private equity and co-found um, SSB Capital Partners in early, in the 2000s. How are you able to find the right co-founder for this venture? And what gave you the confidence that you are going to be able to do this? Uh well, you know, so, so it actually, it was, a, it was a wonderful guy, John Barber, and he had a, he and I both were kind of working at, was then Solomon Smith Barney, uh, and we both had an idea that basically the firm ought to leverage intellect with capital, uh, not a novel idea because Goldman and DLJ and a bunch of other firms had sort of successfully done it and to look to basically leverage the strength of the organization. Uh, and so really it was a, an idea that it sort of kind of, you know, kind of bubbled up and we were able to, you know, convince the firm that they ought to, you know, set something like the, this up and they ought to, you know, uh, let us basically run it. And so, you know, kind of, you know, that was kind of the, the genesis of it. Um, the, you know, the idea was kind of percolating for, I don't know, three, four, five years prior to that. Um, uh, and, you know, we were able to, you know, kind of the, the, the sun, the moon, the stars sort of kind of came together and we, we kind of pulled it together and we raised what was then a relatively large amount of money, a billion dollars uh, in, you know, kind of in 2000. Uh, and um, we had a uh, direct investment fund. We had a fund of funds, and then we ultimately uh, built a mezzanine debt business as well. Yeah, and did the fact that the banks trusted you and gave you that saw you as an asset and were like you could do this, did that help you with your confidence that you could do it, or did you always know that you could do it? Um. No, I, I think it's like one of those sorts of things is like in, in, you know, I think you have to have that kind of confidence in yourself and particularly our money was you know, kind of for our employees. And so you have to believe you have to be sort of kind of a person that basically wants the ball, wants to take the shot um, and to believe that or to be like the surgeon that wants the scalpel to believe that. No, like, you know, I think I'm actually can do this and I think actually managing money and, um, you know, for others um, in the, particularly in the case where it was our, our fellow employees was you know, viewed as like a, a privilege and a responsibility and something we took incredibly seriously. Um, and um, so, you know, I think it's a, a truly like, you know, kind of one of the words is like stewardship. And I believe that you know, kind of managing money is really you're stewarding others' capital and you need to, you know, treat that capital with tremendous amounts of respect. And we, of course, uh, were, um, were able to, uh, uh, you know, attract a really kind of top tier, very highly uh very capable, high quality, uh, in, you know, kind of terrific, you know, kind of team, all of whom have gone on to do, you know, kind of fantastic things in life. And, um, you know, it's that team, uh, and the, the strength of the organization, because the, the organization was so important in terms of being able to leverage that for deal flow. Yes. But more importantly, due diligence insights. Um, and, um, you know, so, you know, it, it, you know, I guess one of the sorts of things is, in fact, I remember talking to John and kind of a couple of years after we started the, the business and we said, basically, you know, it's interesting. And I think when people found or start things is they they don't know how much they don't know. And sometimes actually that's an advantage um, because um, you, uh, you know, you're 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 not you don't become overwrought around things that are, you know, kind of, that are, that are problems that you're ultimately going to have to fix that you're going to learn from or whatever those sorts of lessons in life. And then and some of the lessons in life and investing and others 
or only lessons that you can come through failure. In fact, I have a belief that, you know, success really teaches us nothing in life. Um, we always misattribute the source of the success. We always overlook basically the role of luck uh, in success. Um, and, you know, kind of, we only really learn you know, kind of through failure. Thank you guys for listening to part one of the podcast. Part two will be up shortly. But in the meantime, you can check out the links below from today's guest. See you guys soon.